I'm going to talk about three reasons or I could say the top three reasons why I cling on to Jesus Christ. My top three reasons. And I begin to believe that my top reasons for clinging on to Jesus still continue to follow him to be mad about him could be your reasons too. My three reasons are this. That is, he is living. Number one. Number two, he is loving. Number three, he is coming. These three words I will keep on repeating throughout the sermon until these three words are riveted in our memory, etched in our memory. These are not just my reasons too. These, is, these are the reasons I find in the Bible and hundreds and thousands of the children of God still hang on to Him, cling on to Him irrespective of all the adverse circumstances, even persecution, imprisonment, and threat of death even at the point of death. Because we serve Jesus who is living, loving, and coming. I should start with some spiritual biography. I had the privilege of sort of, I would say, a very special, privileged bringing up, Christian bringing up, I should say, spiritual bringing up. By the time I became, I was born, my parents, both my parents had become believing Christians, though they were born in a Christian family, they had become, a, become believing uh, Christians. So, I went with them. Probably I was dedicated as a child in the church at a very young age. I don't know. Both my parents are not alive now to ask them. And um, so I went to the Sunday school from very young age. And I also went to the youth group where I studied the word, interacted with fellow Christians, even before I came to become a believer. We had family altar. Almost like a ritual at 5.30 in the morning, with the children and the parents got up and praised God, sang a song, read the Bible and prayed together. And we repeated it in the evening as well, before we went to bed. The family prayed together, read the Bible together and praised God together in singing. They took me to a vibrant church where I learned the word of God. I received the pastoral care from very committed pastors. That was my privilege, a spiritual privilege that I had. I know some of you did not have that, but still God called you and you are beginning a heritage for you and for your children and for the generations to come as you walk with God. Though you didn't have a privilege like this or a legacy like this, you are laying foundations for a legacy. And that's a special privilege. That is something is beginning with you. 
Praise God for that. But my reason for still clinging on to Jesus is not because I had Christian parents. My reason not to being at love, madly at love with God, with Christ, is not that I had a spiritual bringing up as I described now. It all began with my conversion. When I was born again, when I received the Lord Jesus Christ into my life, at some time when I was 14, that's half a century back. I walked, started my walk with him from that moment. That is the reason why I cling on to him. Not because, not just because. That's why I called it a privilege. Not because of my bringing up, not because of my background. That is not the reason. It had facilitated this. Definitely. It has actually made, enhanced it. But my reason is that I had a beginning with Jesus Christ. The moment when he joined my, my came into my heart. That happened about 50 years ago. When I was still very young, in my te early teenage years, I gave my heart to God, Christ, and said, come and take control of my life. And I received him as my Savior and my Lord. So the reason why I won't abandon him, but would continue with him, is that for me, he is living, he is loving, and he is coming. I serve a Savior who is living today. That's one of the hymns that I like most, if you ask me what is the song that you like most. I serve a recent Savior who is in the world today. That's an old Christian song. Who walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. That probably, I would say, is my song of my life. Jesus Christ came to this world. He died on the cross for my and your sins, the sins of the world. And he died on the cross and was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a privileged, wealthy man's funeral. But the tomb could hold him only for two nights. That was a temporary night lodging. His body was embalmed and buried and entombed there just for two nights. On the third day, death could not hold him anymore. He rose from the dead. That happened sometime between AD 28 and AD 30. It's a, it's a fact of history. Undeniable history. And he appeared to more than 5,000, sorry, 500 people over many weeks. He appeared to his disciples. He invited them, he provided them breakfast at the seashore of Galilee. He is alive. And 65 years later, when one of his beloved disciples called John was imprisoned, or exiled to a very lonely island called Patmos. He appeared to him 
sometime 60 plus years later, AD 90, between 90 and 95. And he told his disciple, Revelation, the book of Revelation was chapter 1, verses 17 to 20. But I'm only reading the verse 18. And after appearing to John, the, 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 his beloved disciple, 60 years after his resurrection, he assured him again, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. <laughs> I died. True, nobody can deny that. I was not just in a coma. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and the Hades. He is alive. On the third day, and in AD 60, he affirms that truth again, I am alive. The favorite title that his disciple called him after that, when he wrote that book of Revelation, is the one who lives forever. He is alive forever. He is not dead. Not only that, he was resurrected and died again like Lazarus. No. He is living he is alive forever. And Paul, Saint Paul, affirms that truth in Romans chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. I am reading only 9 now. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Death had a dominion over him just for two days, two nights, not full. On the third day, the death had to release him, or he overcame death and released himself from the dead. And he was not going to die again. He is alive forever. Not only that, he is alive. But he is very busy on my behalf now. <laughs> that is another interesting thing. That he is alive, but he is not idle. He is not sitting just there doing nothing. He is very busy. You know what? The writer of Hebrews, chapter 8, verse 1 said, Now the point is that what we are saying is this. We have a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the Father, throne of the majesty in heaven. And he goes on to say, he is interceding for us. What is Christ who is alive, living today, doing now? Oh yeah, he is very busy. He is interceding for, to, for me. He understands me. He is a high priest. He is a priest who knows my weakness. Every time I mess up, when I do things that God doesn't please, this living priest, he lives and he always pleads for me. He pleads. 
when I mess up my life, he cleans it up. That is his job. That is why he is alive today. That he is living to pray for me, to pray with me, and to, 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 to atone, continue to plead with God the Father on my behalf. That's the secret why I am alive. If I didn't have a priest like that and the father, presence of father, I would have long dead. Long I, back, I would have gone, endured the punishment of God. But every time when I did something that in my weakness, this living priest, Christ who lives for me, interceded for me, forgave my sins. I could go to him, to the grace, the throne of grace and plead and he would listen to me. He is living but also he is active. I don't have a friend. I have friends but I don't have a friend who is who will never die. All my friends other than Jesus Christ are people will one day die. So many of them have already died. Gone away from my life. Even those who are living haven't ever promised me or I know very sure they are not going to die. They will die. There is an end to their life. None of them are actually working for me. Are not actually sufficient enough or even capable of forgiving my sins and keep me acceptable before God. That's only one friend and he is living. And that friend is Jesus Christ. That's my top one reason why I am madly in love with Jesus. He's living. And he's not only living, he's living for me and you. That's why I we cling on to Jesus. Now you know already the second reason. The second reason is that he is loving. Not only living, but he is loving. He loved me when I didn't deserve his love. He loved me when I was unlovable. His love, his love for me is not because he found me something, someone that deserves his love. Actually, I didn't deserve. We didn't deserve. When I was absolutely unlovable. Paul, Saint Paul, who came to experience his deep, deep, deep love, says in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. Romans chapter 5, 6 to 8, he says, For while we were still weak, that means unable to save ourselves, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. 
We were not godly people when he died for us and poured out his love for us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. That in that situation, but verse 8, God shows his love for us through Christ in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God showed his love when I was not, when I was, I didn't deserve his love. When I was absolutely unlovable, but highly detestable, hateable, God loved me. And what was the manner of that love? That manner of the love is that he is a sacrificial love. It is not giving part of what he has. It is not giving away something that he possesses. Some of the many. But it was a love that gave himself for me. All that he had. That is his own life. His own body. To be pierced and crucified. To be, to to be bled and die for me. In Galatians chapter 2.20 says that his love demands a commitment from me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but he, Christ lives me. And the life I live on flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me. <laughs> That's amazing thing. And loved me so much, and gave himself for me. How much did he love? To give himself for me. That's an amazing sacrificial love. A self-giving love. It's not only self-giving love. You can't measure it. We can't quantify that love. How much is that? Is it measurable? Can it be quantified? No. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 to 19, he praying, I may have strength to come befriend with all the saints. It's a prayer. It's a wish. The breadth, the length, the height, and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. This love can never be quantified. You can't determine its breadth, the height, the depth and the width. Breadth. A love that cannot be quantified. A love that so dimensions we cannot determine. A love that is indescribable. He gave himself for us. This is not 
See, when we, sometimes we belittle Jesus' sacrifice. When we use expressions like this, he gave his life for his blood for us. See, please remember, Jesus' love for us was not just blood donation. It was not just kidney donation. When we give a, one or two bottles of our blood for a patient who is going for a surgery, we call it a sacrifice. But you know that scientifically, that any blood you donate will be reproduced in our body within 24 hours. But still we call it a sacrifice. When we give a, don a kidney, donate a kidney to another relative, a close relative, to the wife or the husband or son or a daughter, we call it as a sacrifice. Though we just need one kidney to survive rest of our life. Even that, we call it as a sacrifice. In organ donation after death, we call it as a sacrifice. If all these are sacrifices, then ask me, let, tell me, how much, how would you quantify the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Though he had thousands of angels at his disposal, who gave himself to die on the cross, is that possible? No. He just he gave me not only his kidney, he not he gave me not only his heart, nor his part of his liver, but he gave himself for me. He's so loving, and that's why that love demands commitment from us. Paul said, for on behalf of all of us. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. I cannot live for myself anymore. Because his love is so captivating. I live with this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God. This life, this love controls my entire life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verses 14 to 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us. It decides what we say, what we think, where we go. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, and those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for their sake, their sake died and who died and was raised. It's a love that demands the entirety of our life. This unconditional love, this immeasurable love makes us inseparable from his love. Romans chapter 8 verse 37 to 38, 39. Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, or height, or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We, he, this love has made us debtors, enslaved us to his love. That's the love we experience when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and surrender our life to receive his love. That's the reason too why we should be. That's why I'm clinging on to him in spite of. I don't really care if I come to know that some people hate me. I don't care that. I don't care when I come to realize that some people don't love me. Why should I worry about them? When I have experienced such a love, an ocean of love, why should I worry about the hatred, enmity of puny little men and women who try to make my life miserable? or our life miserable when we have when we are completely immersed steeped in the love of the creator of this world who has become our savior that's the reason in spite of persecutions and hatred and problems desertions and all that people still cling on to him. They cling on to him because they have experienced, tasted and seen the love of God. Once tasted, you can never detest it. Number three. The number three reasons why we should be but should still cling on to him is this. He is coming. His promise to come back. See, Jesus promised to his disciples that he will come back to them in John's Gospel, chapter 14. And I think that it is verse 3. Let me just check it. He said, when I prepare a... Yes, verse 3, John's Gospel, chapter 4, 14, 3. He said, before going, he said, And I, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. He has gone to the heaven and he said, I will come back and I will take you home to the place where I am only preparing to clean up the place now. And once it is ready, yeah, I am coming back. Now, he said the same thing. Let me read that because it is very important for us now. That is Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, 27 and 28. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. 
He said, son of man, Jesus is going to come back. After his resurrection, when he took his disciples to the Mount of Olives, which was a very uh, hill, um, just the eastern side, western side of Jerusalem temple, he was speaking to them, talking to them, and then suddenly the disciples noticed something, that his feet is not touching the ground. And slowly the gap between his feet and the, the, the ground was increasing and he was ascending slowly. They washed him off. What's going on? Then a, finally he was covered by a cloud. A cloud covered him and he was not visible at all. Then an angel told them, Men of Galilee, uh, sorry, chapter, uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 11. And they said, Men of Galilee, why are you looking into heaven? Because they just saw Jesus ascending and a cloud covered him, hid him from the view. And they were still looking at the cloud, thinking that the cloud will remove, move and they will be able to see him up there. But that didn't happen. So the angel came and said, told them, from the cloud. O men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Don't worry, don't worry. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way. This Jesus will come into the same way as you saw him go up to heaven. And that's what exactly he told them in Matthew chapter 16, 27, 28. I want to focus on this particular phrase. This Jesus. The same manner. That means, just as he ascended in the, into the cloud, he will descend in the same cloud, in, in a similar manner, in, in the cloud. Matthew chapter 16. With the accompaniment of the angels. The, 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 the uh, angels assured them. It will be the same Jesus. Now, this is very unique to the to Christian disciples like me and you. Some religions teach that there will be repeated incarnations of God. The divine will incarnate one after another. But they don't say it will all be different. Different, different incarnations. Particularly, the Baha'i religion teaches that every thousand years there will be a new prophet. But none of the two prophets will be the same, will be different. No incarnations the religion, some religions teach, will be same. Some religions don't teach anything about the coming of their God. But Jesus said, Angels confirmed that the same Jesus who came to this world, the same Jesus who came into the womb of Mary, born in Bethlehem, the same Jesus who did miracles, healed the sick and raised the dead, the same Jesus who suffered and died under Pontius Pilate, and the same Jesus who rose on the third day, 
the same Jesus who now ascended will come back. It will not be a different person. It will be the same Jesus. That's our hope. The one who died for me, the one who lives for me, is simply waiting to come back. That hope is the reason why, reason three, that I still cling on to him. He is coming to reign. He is coming to rule. And he is coming to complete an unfinished agenda. In Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.1, He is coming to judge the living and the dead. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Thessalonians, second epistle to the Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1. He is coming to gather us as he promised in John's gospel chapter 14 verse 3. He is coming to gather us, to collect us, to take us home. That's the promise. And I have no reason to doubt his promise. He is coming to judge. He is coming to rule. And he is coming to take me home. And the Bible ends with this amazing verse. You know what? Except the last sentence, the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible has 20 chapters and 21 verses. The last book. And you know the last verse in it, verse 20 I am talking about. The 21 is the last verse, but it is just a conclusion. Verse 20 concludes with this great hope. The Bible closes with that hope. He who testifies to these things say, Surely, I am coming soon. Amen. And the church says, Come Lord Jesus. Or in Aramaic they would say, Maranatha. That's the hope of the church. He is coming. He is coming. The same Jesus is coming. He is not sending somebody else. The same Jesus. The same way. In the clouds. Accompanied by the angels. That's the hope. That's the reason. I remember when I am built a little nostalgic when I read this last verse. When I used to go to the youth camps in uh, as part of as, as, as growing up in as a as a believer, I remember every youth camp, maybe two three days of our camp, ended with a very touching prayer from a pastor who is senior to all of us. A man of God, definitely. And he would say that, Oh Lord, and we all shouted. That was the last ritual in the camp. We all shouted, Maran Atha. That means, though it is not our language, <laughs> this is simply a biblical phrase, 
we said but that verse was that that phrase was very very important we got we left from the camp completely inspired that we are returning but before sometimes before we return to the camp next year our lord will come we may not see the people the friendships that we established during these three days again we may not have another camp next year we may not have another bible study or fun or games or uh, a bonfire next year before that our lord may come so we went home packed our things took our backpacks and headed home shouting maranatha oh lord please come it also qualifies please come soon that is the hope that why that's why a christian disciples still hangs on to him clings on to him because he says the soon coming king let me conclude with a small story this is the story of a young man who went to the northwestern side of what the british india a few few years before the partition or maybe close to the partition he in those days when uh, he could the people not ordinary people could not afford a, uh, air travel he made it to that part of india what was india those days in the british times for to earn a living but he left home his young wife and two young kids very young kids but while he was here earning enough money saving enough money to return home india was divided into two countries pakistan and india who could never he could never return because he was in he was working and living in working in a place which was which happened to be pakistan overnight and his wife and his young family at that time was in india he never returned his family grew old but that's a fact of history that they have a husband and a father but they don't know whether he is living and whether he is dead because there is no communication from him is there been now more than 75 years there is no evidence of his living now there is no nothing to prove that they he loves them even now if he is living suppose he is living he is not dead yet he may be an old man but there is nothing to tell them that he still loves them has he married some other person made his own family in pakistan 
lives happily there and loves them instead of the family that he left behind in the undivided India, there's nothing to prove that he lives, he loves them. Thirdly, even if he's living, even if he keeps in heart his love for the family that he left behind decades ago, these people have no hope of him coming back. He may not return for various reasons. One, he may not be living. He may be dead. He may not come back because he no more loves them. Why he should come back? But my Jesus is different. Let me try to include you as well. All of you. All those who are behind these 23 devices connected today. Brothers and sisters. If you have accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord. If you live a life worthy of your calling. This is not my private reasons to serve, but it is yours too. But if you haven't found Jesus as your Savior, if you haven't set on a journey with Him, I plead in the name of my Savior, please come to Him. To this living Savior who is on he is pleading on our behalf. This loving God and who has promised and none of his promises were in vain. And I have no reason to doubt his promise that he will come back one day. He is my living, he is my loving and he is my soon coming king. Is he yours? I want to give a minute for you to rethink. All of us. If you think that you have started a journey with him and if you are not really sure right now, here is time for us to pray a prayer. If the, your salvation experience is a distant, faded memory, here is a time for us to recommit ourselves so that we can come back to him and start our journey, restart our journey. If you are stuck somewhere, it's a time for recommitment. Shall we pray? I'm going to pray on our behalf. And if you could make this prayer, if you are in a public place, like if you are joined from a cafe or traveling or in some other place, and if you cannot utter a prayer, just whisper it or pray in your mind. A prayer asking God to come to our life and give us the reason to live and the grace to hang on to Him in spite of all that happens. Shall we pray? 
Lord, we just want to thank you for giving us the reasons to live. For the faith that for assuring us again and again and again by your mercies in our life through the grace that we enjoy your care and your protection that you are still alive for us. We thank you Lord for loving us. You gave not only part of what you have but you gave yourself for us completely. Thank you for that love and that love we experience every day in our life. We praise you God for the promise of your coming. You know that, O oh Lord, you will come in the clouds to the accompaniment of the angels and the trumpet, the voice of the trumpet, sound of trumpets. We thank you for that, O oh Lord. And prepare ourselves, keep ourselves pure and holy, acceptable unto you until that moment. We thank you. We thank you for the saints who sang. I love a living Savior who is in the world today. He walks with me. He talks with me along life's narrow way. I pray for my brothers and sisters who haven't yet started a journey with you, O Lord. But I pray, O Lord, that at this moment you will urge their hearts by the Holy Spirit to accept you as their Savior into their life. We pray for those who have a salvation experience, but it is a distant and faded memory. I pray that, O oh Lord, they will reconnect with you, renew their commitment. We pray for strength to serve you, O oh God. Be, with, be our God. Be our Savior. Lead us on. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you all.